Well, ladies and gents, I am very pleased to um, present today our special speaker, Cyril Hunkler. And <laughs> he always has a special word for us, so let's listen carefully. It was mentioned the lighter attendance today because so many people gone to the family camp. I was thinking of a joke told in the Catholic Church. Um, you know, in the Catholic Church, there's a bishop who's a higher up, and once in a while he comes around, and that's a big deal when he comes to visit a church, and lots of people come and all that sort of thing. And the joke is told that one particular time he came to a church and there was hardly anybody who came out to see him. And so he said to the pastor, um, say, did you not tell the, the people that I was coming so there's such light attendance? And the priest said, no, I did tell them you're here. <laughs> anyway. I love to see all the patriotic shirts, and I like to wear red myself on this as we celebrate our Independence, Independence Day tomorrow. I, I like to think of the bloodshed for our freedom and the bloodshed by Jesus that set us free and healed us and cleansed us. And I'm so thankful for the worship we just had. Wasn't that amazing? <laughs> Praise you, Lord. Uh, I, uh, I probably should have talked to the worship team, but I did not. And as it turns out, all of the worship uh, thoughts and the lyrics of the songs about the, the presence of the Lord coming and his kingdom coming and, his, and the invitation to him to come and touch us and live in us and minister to us and break down the walls and all that sort of thing. Totally um, the thoughts that I was thinking about the Independence Day celebration that we have tomorrow. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed. And in terms of the coming of the Lord, there was a tremendous history that happened before that. There was uh, earlier in the 1700s, around the first part of the 1700s, there was a coldness and a dryness that had developed in the church and people had gotten away from the Bible and some pastors even had begun to think it was less important to read the Bible and to have that intense personal relationship with Jesus that we've been singing about and, and uh, worshiping today. And, and the church was very much in need of revival. And people began to pray, much as people are praying these days. And as the worship songs today, they were crying out, come, Lord Jesus, come, revive your people. Come and do something and, and turn this nation. That's what they were praying in the early 1700s. And in the mid-1700s, 
things began to roll. And I pray that this is that this is happening in our time. And as I share this message today, if you want to take part, I will do this verse from time to time. I'll say, Lord, revive your people. And I'd like you to say, come, Holy Spirit. Let's practice. Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. All right, we got that down. So there were people like Jonathan Edwards that pretty much everybody has heard of. He was a young 21-year-old pastor of a small church in Northampton, Massachusetts, and he was determined that, that people had to know about that intense personal relationship with Jesus. And he began to preach about that, and he preached about the need to be forgiven of sins and to repent from sin. And soon he had 300 converts, and they began to, uh, the, the revival began to spread. And he wrote, as he thought about this happening, he said, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. The revival struck the young people first. And then the elders and the taverns emptied out. <laughs> and people got over their quarrels, backbiting and fighting with each other. And they quit gossiping. And, and, uh, and it spread. And Jonathan Edwards came to be known and in colonial America as one of its foremost theologians and he was possibly one of the greatest intellects that the country has ever had. George Whitefield is also famous for that time. He was actually British, but he had achieved success preaching and, and revitalizing and reviving people in England. And he made seven trips to the United States and crisscrossed the 13 colonies back and forth and preaching. Um, he had a big, booming voice, and he could speak to large crowds. They had no microphones in those days. He could speak to up to 20,000 people without a microphone. And he, too, was uh, preaching to people about the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus. And um, he also saw great results Benjamin Franklin, another great Christian of the time, wrote about Whitefield's preaching. It was wonderful to see the changes in our inhabitants. From being thoughtless or indifferent about God, it seemed as if the whole world was growing in Christ. You could not even walk down a street without hearing psalms being sung by different families. Let's pray for that happening in our time. Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. There were thousands converted during those uh, mid-1700s. Uh, there were uh, uh, believers renewed who had previously believed and who had grown cold. There was a new missionary spirit that developed. Some of the colleges that we still have today began during that time with a charter that seems much different from today, like Princeton and Brown and Dartmouth and Rutgers. 
And as you know, if you've studied this, one of the main reasons they, they began those institutions of higher learning was to train ministers for the gospel. And learning about Christ was a mandatory part of the curriculum. In at Princeton, they would say, for example, that you're, you're cursed if you don't know Jesus and things like that. So, um, again, we need to pray, Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Uh, we need that in our universities and every type of education. At the same time as there was spiritual revival, God was preparing stout-hearted patriots like George Washington. He had achieved prominence early in his life as a volunteer, part of a militia in the state of Virginia called the Rangers. They were about law and order, and he was a serious believing Christian. You've probably seen pictures of him uh, in uh, kneeling in the snow praying for his troops in the difficult times that they had fighting the Revolutionary War. Before the, war, how, before the Revolutionary War, however, there was the French and Indian War, 1754 to 1763. The French still had a considerable chunk of real estate in our country at the time, uh, like what is now Louisiana. And they were, uh, they were thinking they could get on the side of the Indians, the Native Americans, and drive the Americans off their land. And so a war broke out over that. George fought on the side of the British during that war. And um, he became a target because he was always on the front lines and riding back and forth with his hor horse leading the fight. One time he fell in an icy river and he could have drowned and we would have never heard of him, but God spared him. Another particular battle, he found out later that he had been specifically the target uh, during the French and Indian War. Uh, one chief told him later on that he had shot at him from a close distance 12 times and he could not bring George down. So a whole group of them who were excellent marksmen decided they were going to take him out. And they began firing at him, and they got his horse. And unfortunately, his horse went down. He got another horse. They kept firing, and his second horse went down. So he got a third horse, and they eventually won that battle. And after the war was over, there was a chief who had been at that battle who came to see George, and he said, I, I need to share something with you. We would call it the Holy Spirit, but he said the Great Spirit had given him a message for George. And it was the following. He said, I have three things that the Great Spirit has prophesied for you. Number one, there's another big battle coming up, and you will be the head of that battle, and you will win. And thirdly, um, there will be a great nation, a new nation that is founded, and you will be its head. George didn't tell anybody about those things. He was a modest man until later, but um, <coughs> they, they 
very much needed revival in those days because it was one thing to declare freedom. Uh, we celebrate tomorrow the Declaration, but it was another to make it so. They were praying a lot in those days before they signed the Declaration of Independence. In fact, they had a day of fasting and prayer. Again, Lord, revive your people, they prayed. Come, Holy Spirit. The Declaration itself, the immortal words, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In their minds, it was a no-brainer that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the 56 signers of the Declaration were rather ordinary people. There were some ministers in the group. There were farmers. There were merchants. There were some lawyers. And given that one of the historical facts that, that they fought the war against was the British soldiers they were mandated to house the soldiers in their homes at times, and they hated that because the soldiers kind of made themselves welcome in ways that you could imagine that were horrible. So these 56 signers who signed, they knew they were in for it. Um, they were declaring that the new young nation of the 13 colonies was free in every way from Great Britain that they would no longer pay taxes, that, that they could trade however they wanted to, that they were not going to be told what to do in any way, shape, matter, or form, basically. And they probably were thinking like, Joshua and Joshua 24, you're familiar with the whole series of talks that Joshua gave in the, in the Bible, where he told the people, God has done all these things for you. He's taken you through the Red Sea. He's conquered your enemies. He's taken you through the desert. He's won battles for you where you didn't even have to fight at times. He's given you land you didn't have to till or buy or work. He's doing all these things for you, and that's on a condition that you obey and that you follow him and that you keep your part of the deal. The young, the early Americans, I think, probably felt much the same, that they had been given so much, and yet they knew that they depended totally on God because they were up against what was really the, the most powerful nation on earth. Those colonial Americans had no standing navy or army other than some militia that had been privately training. But they had basically no money. They had no numbers of, of military and so they, they were praying like we pray these days, Lord, revive your people. 
Come, Holy Spirit. And they were willing to pay the price, great people like Patrick Henry, who shouted, give me liberty or give me death. And um, nine of the signers did die fighting in the war. Five were captured and tortured by the British. Twelve of them had their homes pillaged, robbed, ransacked, and then burned. And four of them had sons who died in the war. And still, we know the story. They won. After all that and after it, it came so close that they could have lost they could have lost the whole thing and their lives and their families and everything else. But I, I believe personally that I, I know that maybe not everybody agrees, and that's fine. By the way, Pastor Doug approves this message. Um, I believe that since the earliest founding documents, going back as far as 1619, the Mayflower Compact, where it was decided that this nation was established to spread the gospel, I believe personally that we have a divine covenant with God in this country. We have a divine mandate. There are two parts to a covenant. We have our part to do, but God has his part to do. And we know that he will not fail his part. And... As was sung so many different ways in the worship today, Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. In the early days of the country, after they won the war, the, uh, it, the prophecy, of course, came true that George had gotten that after the war, he was more than happy to go back to um his property and just live out the rest of his life, but was called upon to leave the country, which he did. And they were probably mindful of Psalms 1, 1 to 3 at that time. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in due season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I believe uh, what many important people have said over the, as Don mentioned, the 246 years of our history that America is great because of our covenant with God. If America ceases to honor God, she will cease to be great. However, I believe that there are more than enough of us, millions of people all over our country who are crying out, Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. I, I really honor and respect strong leaders and so forth, but in the end, at the bottom, at the end of the day, it's going to be revived and spirit-filled people and loving Christian people who are going to turn this nation around. And I sincerely believe it's happening. There are many of us who believe John 8, 31 to 32, that if 
whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's what freedom will be in this country, not for people doing what they want. And we all know Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. And I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I sincerely believe it's happening. One quick example. Well, two. The big one, I know everyone's heard of Roe v. Wade being turned back. Can we give God a hand for that? <laughs> Thank Jesus! In a political season that we're in, for that to happen is a sign if nothing else is. But there are other signs. One, one little story that's related to that. Maybe you heard that Lubbock, Texas, there was not a Planned Parenthood. And so plan, Planned Parenthood decided, oh, you need one, and you're going to get one. There were several elderly ladies who said, you know what? Let's pray that that doesn't happen. So they began to pray with, along with many others that that would not happen. They, besides praying, they went to the city council in Lubbock, Texas, and said, hey, uh, we'd, we'd like to have a, a baby-safe town here. Could you guys decide that Planned Parenthood can come in? And the city council voted nine to nothing that Planned Parenthood come, could come in. Voted, okay, the story's not over, though. They, they didn't give up. They continued to pray, and they continued to say, Lord, revive your people. Come, Holy Spirit. Just a matter of time. They got the attention of lawyers, builders, all kinds of people in Lubbock, Texas. End of story. The vote got retaken. <coughs> Lubbock is a baby-safe town and is not going to have a Planned Parenthood. And so God is able. Give God glory. In conclusion of my thoughts, I, I, I just I agree that, that I, I agree as all of the worship songs have proclaimed and as our history has shown us, the awakening of the 1700s, as you know, was not the only one. There was a great one in the early 1900s, and God is doing it again, I firmly believe. And you who study these things are aware. In concluding my thoughts today, I'd like us to do a Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And in school here, we always do one to the Bible as well. And we have teachers and students here who know the words to that, so I'll ask you to join with me. And then, um, uh, so we do uh, the pledge to the flag, the Bible, and the Christian flag. So if you'd stand, please. And if you'd hold up, there we go. Hand over your heart, ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And to the Christian flag, 
I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. And to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and I will hide his word in my heart that I might not sin against God. And in conclusion, if anyone needs to, to have more of the Spirit as we sang during worship, and needs to be revived in the Holy Spirit. There's, there are prayer ministers here who will pray with you. Let us know. And I would just like to say, uh, with Independence Day coming, coming tomorrow, happy Independence Day. God loves you, and so do I. <laughs>